When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, hi, it's uh, Sean here. You may know me from Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. And before we start the show today, just putting feelers out there. If you're a business owner or you know someone who's got a business, then we are looking for a sponsor of the show to reach thousands of Bournemouth fans that tune in each week to this podcast so if you're interested or you know someone who's interested please just drop us a line fans at afcbpodcast.com that'd be great just help us keep the show on the air cheers You must be a Cherries fan. Well, please make sure you are sitting comfortably and then we'll begin. And welcome to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. With me, Sean Barker. And as always, me, Sam Davis. Yep, and thanks for lending us your ears today or, or ear if you are of the single earbud persuasion. We've got a great show lined up for you today. But first things first, Sean, what are you wearing? <laughs> Sounds like one of those bizarre phone calls you sometimes get. From you, Sam. You've got to stop calling me late night. But uh, seeing as this time you've asked so nicely, I am resplendent in the 98-99 red and black home shirt, which ties in nicely with this week's Do You Remember? Sean, there was no need for that Snapchat you just sent me. And I'm wearing the red and black home kit, the Premier League kit, because we're safe once again. We're still not officially safe, but here at Back of the Net Towers, we're going to say officially. Lovely stuff. So... Coming up on the show this week. We bring your fan thoughts on the disappointing day at the office as our boys suffered defeat at home to Liverpool. 
Sam and myself will then talk through the major points from the game. Yep, and then I review the online world of AFCB from the past seven days. And I'll bring you the latest club news. Oh, and don't forget to remember to do the Do You Remember? Did you remember? Uh, I forgot. Well, in that case, you've now remembered that we will have a Do You Remember this week to test your knowledge of players past. God, confused? Always. In this week's feature, Sam launches the Back of the Net End of Season Awards by running through the major categories and how you can vote for your picks. Yeah, and it's bigger than the Oscars, just with less Ricky Gervais. Oh, that might not be a bad thing. Ian Hensman is this week's supporter profile, coming from good old Australia, mate. And then lastly, we'll preview the Cherries' upcoming game against Chelsea. But first, here's your fan thoughts on the game against Liverpool. Liverpool ahead 2-0 at half-time. Jurgen Klopp having made 10 changes to the starting lineup uh, That took on Dortmund in midweek. The only player who survived was Firmino. He scored the opening goal after 40 minutes. It came after Sturridge backheeled the shot, which Boric parried out. Firmino turned in the rebound. And then in added time in the first half, Sturridge headed home Ibe's uh, free kick to make it 2-0 at half-time. King scored three minutes into added time to make it 2-1 and with 30 seconds of added time to play a quick free kick from Graben a crossover and Cook headed over a great chance for what would have been the equaliser but Liverpool win it by two goals to one Hi, uh, David there The game against Liverpool was uh, probably a bit uh, like a fed We seem to have problems on facing quality strikers really just like uh, Sturridge, Aguero, Kane, and uh, a lot. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I can see Eddie was quite upset after the game, which uh, is probably a good thing because the players will uh, know that they have to step it up. But it, it's not like they're not trying, but it seems like we have somehow lost a bit of our edge since uh, since the Swansea game, which uh, probably a result of us just really overperforming for, for the last two years or so but and, uh, now there's a reaction so it's only natural but uh, I think we could do uh, with uh, a couple of reinforcements in the central defensive midfield as much as it hurts to say because there have been some lads that have been really good for us but uh, we'll see up to Chase Hi it's AFCB Pete Iford in Bournemouth um, I think yesterday the Liverpool game it just showed the lack of depth that we have in the squad I don't really want to criticise individuals, but um, there are several that I really don't feel are are up to the task. We're moving beyond their capabilities. Uh, King was outstanding, who I think is is not far away from being as good as Callum Wilson, to be honest. And uh, the summer's going to be interesting. Hi, my name's Joe Wright, and I'm going to be reporting on the Bournemouth-Liverpool match. I thought we were average because we didn't press fast enough, but I thought Josh King was really good at pressing from the front, and he also took his goal really well. Liverpool looked so dangerous every time they went forward with their pace from Ojo, Sturridge and Ibe. Also, Sturridge nearly scored an amazing back hill 
and then Firmino had put it in. Liverpool hit the post loads of times and could have scored more. I th I thought Mark Pugh made an impact when he came on and changed the game. It was really good to see Wilson back and the whole crowd went mad when he came on. It would have been amazing if Cook's header went in and we got a draw out of it, but it just didn't happen. Thank you for putting me on the podcast. Steve Richards, Christchurch. Um, a quick pricey of the game. Very, very poor defensively first half. Their second goal went completely unchallenged. For me, Gradle, way off form, looked out of sorts, struggling for pace. Um, I thought we got better as the game on because of substitutions. Pugh, Graben and Wilson, namely. Um, when they came on, we looked, looked much, much better. But I don't get why we start with a weak side. Um, I thought Cook, Richie and King all had good games. King deserved his goal. Um, but I also felt that Liverpool backed off once they went two up. I did hear that Eddie gave the squad a number of days off uh, in the preceding week. I don't get that. Uh, I think that's disrespectful to... to um, paying fans um, and I honestly think we need to invest in shoring up a pretty poor defence uh, you only got to look at our goals conceded and finally when we're going to stop making excuses for poor performance and aspire for greater things I get sick to death of being told that we should be happy for what we've got because of where we come from I want Bournemouth to get better um, that's, that's it for me guys all the best And a big thank you once again for all the supporters that contributed to the fans' thoughts of our match at the weekend. And a special mention to Joe Wright, 12 years old. Thank you very much, Joe. Really want to have more youth on the show. So, Sean, about, oh, hang on a sec. We've got an email. There is a bonus voice clip that's just come in, and it seems to be from Richard Seagull Williams. Right, if I press this button here... Sam, Sean, I'm glad you've asked me this question as to what I thought of the Cherries game against Liverpool's under-12s on Sunday. It's been the only thing that's kept me occupied as I waited in on two successive days over the weekend for my cleaner to still not turn up. Needless to say, I will not be voting for Albania in the upcoming Eurovision Song Contest. Anyway, my decision. Well, yes, uh, Bournemouth were unlucky. Short of picking up the ball and delivering it to the referee on a plate with a little bow on top, I don't think Bournemouth were going to receive a penalty if the game lasted for another 90 minutes. But whilst it's hard to play a team of 11 goalkeepers, uh, we really should have done better. Um, I've said it before and I've seen, I'll say it again, uh, we should be playing better against the top teams. And uh, perhaps another way of approaching it from now on is Eddie Howe just tells the players, I know, we are actually just playing Norwich each week, uh, I reckon, with uh, uh, maybe a Delia Smith hot pot in the canteen. That will buy a couple more wins in the season and elevate the elevate the team right up that table <laughs> thank you richard uh, once again what a what a stressful life he leads if it's not play it's not strikes it's got problems with cleaners and traffic issues that guy what a life he leads uh, but good thinking though about the tell him it's norwich every week especially like the delia smith idea 
He is um he is our resident pundit, isn't he? Uh, but anyway, it was an experimental Liverpool side that won at Bournemouth on Sunday to record a third successive victory for the Reds. Roberto Firmino's rebound and Daniel Sturridge's header gave the visitors a commanding 2-0 lead at half-time. We rallied after the break, but uh, Josh King's stoppage time strike came too late for a comeback. So the result now lifts Liverpool up to eighth place in the Premier League table. While the Cherries remain 13th, now Liverpool, they made 10 changes from Thursday's momentous Europa League win over Borussia Dortmund as Jurgen Klopp named an inexperienced side. The fringe players, though, sort of repaid the Germans' faith with an accomplished performance. Were you, uh, were you intrigued by the, buff- the uh, team that he put out, Sean, or was it, were you very much expecting that? I think it was to be expected overall. I was a little bit surprised at the number of changes. I thought that was pretty bold. But again, I mean, obviously Klopp's got faith in in the youth there. And, you know, they have to get a game somewhere. So why not make all those changes? Um, yeah, I guess it, it slightly nullified the fact that Liverpool were playing on the Thursday night because we were thinking that a few more of their, their players may have been playing. Obviously, only Firmino was the only one that had played on the Thursday. So... I would have imagined that the rest of the team would have been training at Liverpool in preparation for our game. Interesting comments from Steve Richards in the uh, fan thoughts there about our players having a few days off. Hmm. It's a long season. We've got a small squad and, you know, I, I do still trust in Eddie. So for me, I mean, we've been playing the way we've been playing for a long time. Did they need a few days off because they were tired? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can really question that. I don't think getting them in to do doggies back and forth would have done much difference. No, that's right. So in terms of the team lineup, then we played a sort of 4-4-2. Well, we did. So Stanislas came in in replace for Graven. Other than that, it was the same side that dispatched of Aston Villa. Yeah, it was. And I was pretty surprised about that. I was I was actually pretty disappointed that Graven didn't start. I have been impressed with how Graben has been playing over the last few weeks. I thought he played pretty well last week. Um, so I was surprised that Stanislas had come straight back in. Um, you know, we know Eddie likes to keep faith with players that have done well for him. So was this a case of, you know, keep your training up and we'll give you a start in this game? Maybe. So, so Stanislas did start behind King, um, but he seemed to sometimes be playing more as like the midfielder as if it was a 4-5-1. He was kind of dropping fairly deep, um, so not really pushing on beyond King. I think it made us pretty light up the top. Um, I think, obviously, King, as we know, played really, really well and was getting in behind. Didn't really see a big link up with Stanislas, though. But, yeah, for me, I was dis- I was disappointed that Graben didn't start. It's probably to be expected that uh, Stanislas and King perhaps don't uh, link up like two strikers would do because obviously he's not an out-and-out striker. But uh, just want to quickly make a point about the really touching tribute at uh, the start of the match where uh, Tommy Elphick uh, walked on with the uh, wreath with the 96 mentioned on. thought that was a really nice touch there, Sean. Yeah, it was. And, you know, obviously we've heard from Liverpool supporters saying they're really grateful. And, you know, it was a terrible thing. No one should ever go to football and not come home. And it was nice we were able to do that before the game. 
Yeah, no, I agree. So it was a it was a pretty uh, decent atmosphere at the Vitality Stadium, but Bournemouth didn't exactly start off great. Daniel Sturridge after two minutes. Yeah, and I, I just got to say that the the game didn't start off that great for me down here in New Zealand either. Um, I was invited by the Wellington branch of the Liverpool Supporters Club to go and watch the game with them in a bar in town. So I managed to drag my friend Mark, who actually did get out of bed for this game because it was a 12.30 night kickoff. So we turn up at this bar where the game's meant to be on and it's absolutely heaving with party people. Drunks. They're playing these classic cheesy pop tunes and we were like, oh really? And then the bouncer's like, I'm really sorry but you're meant to be watching upstairs but no one told us that you guys were coming and we haven't got the computer linked up to the TV and all this stuff. So when they said come and watch the game at the pub, what I didn't expect was to spend the first 33 minutes of the game standing in this busy bar with pumping dance music, six <laughs> of us carrying round a four-inch <laughs> Samsung mobile phone watching the game on, the, on a stream. <laughs> <laughs> So it was it was pretty tough, really, to see what the, what was going on. It appeared that we kept giving the ball away a hell of a lot, and that they did too. But I've got to be honest, it was pretty hard at most times to see where the ball was. That must have been... Uh, it, I mean, what was the quality like? Was the picture quality good or bad or what? Oh, no, the picture quality was great. It's just the fact oh. that you're viewing on a postage stamp just made it pretty tough. to. Uh, but it was... So it was a little bit tough viewing for the first 33 minutes. But thanks to Andrew. I've got to say thank you to Andrew, who runs the club down here, the Liverpool club. And uh, they did get it sorted, and we did get up to upstairs to watch the game. And the bar even threw in a couple of free jugs of beer, which was pretty nice. Oh, well, that's, 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 that's very nice of them, isn't it? So we had a few chances in the first half. Uh, Richie with a drag shot. That was assisted by Dan Gosling, dragged it wide. Uh, Josh King got in behind the defence a few times. Uh, there were a, a few chances here and there, but nothing of note. No real shots. Uh, what else did we have? Well, uh, Tommy Alphick, uh there was a, a decent header after about 20 minutes, wasn't there, Sean? Yeah, from the free kick. It was a good delivery into the box and Elphick got up well and to flick it on. It was one of those where it went straight to the goalkeeper, um, Ward making his debut. And, you know, it did. It lacked a bit of... It lacked pace and direction to really trouble. Um, but it was still a decent enough effort. And when you look at the first half, um, I know Cook had that header over from that corner routine Ooh, as yeah. well where Richie dropped it really deep to Francis and you thought oh here we go here's another training ground routine and it almost worked but was just a little bit over the bar and but it was oh, I mean relatively half chances we were really sloppy I felt in possession I mean I was looking in that first five minutes I mean I was just looking at that and there was Daniel Sermon Francis Richie and Gradle all gave the ball away in the first five minutes of the game and that kind of set the scene for well probably a good 60 minutes of the game really wasn't it yeah, that's right. It wasn't. It wasn't um, pretty to watch. And uh, it's Mr. Rowe on Twitter makes uh, a very comical reference to that later on in our online review. Be sure to check that out. I thought the um, the corner routine, as you mentioned, there it's you know they're obviously varying it up, but it is it was one off the training ground. When you when you see it live, you don't sort of really know. But when but then you watch it back and you see all these movements. And uh, yeah, no, that was um, that was a you know decent cross. And Cook, unfortunately, he pinned it over. But uh, Steve Cook turned from sort of a 
nearly scoring to being the human shield on 24 minutes to do where well you could talk us through this <laughs> it was great it was another as we've referenced before it was another colin hendry moment like when he was at blackburn where it just gets in the way of everything <laughs> it was ojo kind of cut in rounded two players had a shot and it kind of hit cook on the chest it bounced back out to randall randall had a shot Hit Cook on the chest again. Now he's on his knees. He's still going. It was like, um, you know, the the the, the soldier in uh, Holy Grail, where you chop off his arms and they chop off his legs. And he's, come back, you know, come on, I'll bite your ankles. It was like that. Cook was just not giving up. It was just literally putting his body on the line. And then the third shot kind of tepidly went through to Boric. But, yeah, good bit of commitment there from Cookie. Yeah, so let's wind it on to 41 minutes. And sadly... 1-0. Roberto Firmino with the left-footed shot from very close range into the top right-hand corner. Um, oh, such a frustrating goal to concede, Sean. It was. I mean, we, we got dropped really deep into the box and Francis and Richie were both kind of shepherding uh, Ibe, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, but they... He ended up being able to cross past the ball in between them anyway. It was a bit disappointing I felt like at that stage we probably could have dealt with that a little bit better I think Francis was a little bit worried about the overlap from Smith but I mean you're, you're three yards from the our goal line so surely at some point you've just got to commit and try and put some kind of block um Elphick I thought was in no man's land kind of in between Francis and Richie and Cook so we're a little bit spread comes into Sturridge if we analyze it again Sermon, I think, could have gone to the ball. Instead, he went back and kind of shepherded. It's like it's like we're scared of putting a tackle in because we're going to give a penalty away. That's kind of how it feels. And it's almost like we're, we're reducing our effectiveness defensively because we're so paranoid. And there's other times in, in the second half with Sturridge where we just shepherd and shepherd and shepherd. And at some point, someone has to make a commitment because Sermon didn't. He kind of shuffled back into... Uh, with Cook. Now, great bit of skill from Sturridge. I mean, it was one of those where it, you could kind of call it. It was like, well, he, he's going to backheel it here. Got good pace. Boric, I think, did really well. I think it was a really great save that he made. And then, of course, you've got Firmino, who drops into the box. Stanislas hadn't picked him up. Gradle was nowhere there. Comes into Daniels. I don't really think you can put a huge amount of blame on Daniels. I mean, he just didn't react as quickly as Firmino did, but their body shapes were entirely different. You know, one was facing towards the goal, one was facing away from the goal. Mm. Put it in the back of the net, but it was a it was a sloppy, disappointing goal to concede. Mm. When you've got three or four players around Daniel Sturridge and you're one of the defenders, you've got you know Firmino there, of course. But I don't know. Perhaps you shouldn't be so naive. But the last thing I'd be expecting is that he's gonna do a back heel, a very powerful one, and then obviously force a save, which then lets him score. I don't know. You can't be sort of too naive on that. You can't, but you you know, as we noticed in the Premier League, is the strikers react uh, quicker. So you have to close them down faster. I mean, I think if you watched Wilson's development, and that's why I think Wilson did was so good before he got injured, that you could see he'd learnt really quickly that he needed to take opportunities faster. So he, when he started scoring the goals, it was less touches that he was taking and he was just hitting it when he got the chance. It was kind of like that with, with all these big names that, that we play up against. If you give them the opportunity, they're going to make something happen. And I think we gave Sturridge too much time, a little bit too much space to make that chance. So scoring a goal 
just before half time is always a good thing to do. Never good to concede a goal before half time. So 41 minutes was bad enough. But then four minutes later, Daniel Sturridge, he was instrumental again. Well, he scored the goal, didn't he? It was a header uh, from the centre of the box to the bottom left-hand corner. That was a cross by Jordan Ibe, I think, following the set-piece situation. Daniel Sturridge, um, I didn't realise, he actually scores a fair few goals with his head. He's not, he's not known as an out-and-out header of the ball. But when he does, he's, he's actually not bad. It was a really good header. Very good. Really, really good header. And, we, you know, we talked about in the first half um, with Elphick earlier on, uh, the header that kind of needed a bit more direction, a bit more pace. Well, Sturridge ticked both those boxes. I mean, it was a great leap. He's got good power on it, and he's put it right in the bottom corner, so Boric has got no chance. But, again, was it far too easy? I mean, Elphick put a header up challenge, but he was a good couple of yards away and behind the ball. He wasn't going to be troubling anyone. I noticed that uh, Torre had got Daniels and Cook um, both kind of tied up in that one of his runs kind of took the two of them out, but it wasn't an overly smart goal to score. I mean, it was a free kick. It's put into the box and the strikers just not in the corner. It was, it was pretty well. Let's just say it was an unchallenged header, wasn't it? Yeah, so nil two at half time, and then lots of people wanted changes. Was the change that did happen at half time? That was Graben coming on from Stanislas. Would was that the one you would have made? I was, felt that should have been happened from the start, but yeah, I mean Stanislas looked looked tired. I think Mike Brannon on Twitter was commenting that he saw him, you know, very much heavy breathing and hands on his knees, looking like it, you know, he's just come back after a long time out, but. Um, you kind of thought, right, second half, let's have a good start. Let's get firing again. Game kicks off. And you notice in the, you know, the main stand in the in the prawn sandwich seats, people pretty slow coming back to their seats, a lot of empty seats, people just kind of slowly getting back into the flow. And it, it looked like our players kind of followed suit, really, because, I mean, Sturridge had that chance after, what, 52 minutes, was it, where we took a throw in, Gosling's let it go across his body and just too slow. Oh, Elphick's still yeah. out wide, so he's not close enough to Sturridge. And then he does that cheeky little chip that came off the post. But it it was just, we wanted a fast second half and we just didn't get it. Certainly deserved a goal, that finish. Uh, well, I say finish, uh, hit the post and and uh, went wide. I think that was assisted by Joe Allen. But yeah, that was, um, that was an exceptional uh, chance for Liverpool and, you know, probably did you know, deserve a goal. Um, but obviously 2-0 kept us in it. We had a number of half chances, uh, a few handballs, Sean. Yeah, I think there was, there was what, three handballs. There was actually kind of four, you could say, penalty shouts. There was, I think, Lucas tumbling over King in the first half, which, yeah, I didn't think was a penalty. And then there were three handballs throughout the game. It was interesting seeing Twitter, actually, and people in the ground who felt that, for example, Lucas's handball was a dead cert. When we were watching it, obviously, with the benefit of replay straight away, um, as soon as we saw the replay... We were shaking our heads going, no, that's not a penalty. Other than Torres, I felt that Torres was a penalty because the whole thing is about the arm being in a non-natural position. So for Lucas, his arm wasn't by his side. It was up a bit, but it was kind of where his arm would have been given his movement. With Torres, his arm was a little bit higher and it just it just made more of an impact on the ball in a position that his arm probably didn't need to be in, which was, I would have given Torres the other ones. Nah, but, you know, Eddie afterwards wasn't 
overly complaining about them. So if they were given, they were given. If they're not, they're not. I remember Francis, was it against Chelsea, wasn't it, when Francis kind of handled the ball when he did that slide tackle? Oh, yes. It wasn't yeah. given. So I think with those, sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. Um, but I think the main thing for the second half, I guess um, Pugh coming on for Gradle was a big change. And I, Mark Pugh played fantastically well when he came on. Like, that guy just... You don't always think of him as a starter or as a main player, but he was the one that started to cause some trouble. And um, in in line with Graben as well, I mean, the subs made a difference. Graben's touch was, I thought, brilliant. The way that he was able to move the ball, and he, he looked really positive. He had a couple of two, if not three, chances where he's got the ball, he's brought it inside, and he's got a shot that's either in a slightly scuffed or there was one that was deflected. But I just thought really, really positive. And... It look we started to get back into the game, although as I have said before, I think you have to bear in mind Liverpool were two 0 up, so weren't going at us full bore, which sometimes I think does make our second half look a little bit better than maybe they would have been. So we were talking about uh, Colo Torre. Um, he's he's a miracle man, Sean. I mean, I what I love the instantaneous nature of Twitter is that something can happen, and then within seconds there'll be a vine or one of these animated gifs. I just he can walk. He can walk. He was dead and buried. <laughs> he was. He was holding his hamstring. We saw it in the replay. So it was his hamstring he was worried about. Ball was still in play. He's gone down. Kind of. I think it was like level in line with the six yard box thinking that the referee's going to immediately blow a whistle and stop the game. He didn't. He played on. And there was the, I think, Ward, the goalkeeper, and one of their defenders put their hands up to show the ref. As soon as Torre realised that, ah, oh, I'm not getting the, the game stopped here, he just got up and <laughs> sprinted. But, you know, come on, Torre, at least do that pretend three paces of a slight, you know, little hobble and then sprint. But he just got up and just, boom, he's gone. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, it was pretty unbelievable. But we finished on a high, so to speak. 93 minutes, uh, the assist by Andrew Sermon. Great goal by Josh King. He took it down really well. And the Twitterati are going to be um, revealing their opinions about Josh King later on. So people have been praising him to the hills and back. But what a great finish. Took it down with his chest and then, you know, let it bounce once. And what a solid strike as well. Great goal, wasn't it? It was. You're, you're being. I think you're being pretty generous, though, with Sermon's claim of an assist. <laughs> I mean, what was it? Was it uh, the old swinger from just inside our own half? Yeah. Locked it for. It. It was the plan B that I know many fans have been crying out for at times this season. Eddie, where's your plan B? Well, there it is. It's a. It's a fifty-yard punt forward. Great chest down from King, and then really good solid volley into the bottom corner. And I guess that showed. How much he has improved in terms of his finishing. You look at the goal he got against Villa and the goal this week. Really good finishes. And that guy, yeah, I mean, fans are already talking about King now. What a transformation throughout this season to to now being what our most important player you could say at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. First name on the team sheet. Well, it is. I mean, we you know we've got to reference the fact that Wilson came on and had a good was it fifteen minutes or so. Do you think he looks a lot bulkier now? He looks like he's done been doing weights. He looks pretty buff on the top half, I, I noticed. 
He does. He does, you know, somewhat. Hey, Sean, we could have got a draw out of this. We could have got a draw. Callum Wilson was fouled. And then, uh, what was it, Mark Pugh crossed it in. Oh, cookie. He seems to be in the right place at the right time. Well, certainly this second half of the season. And what a chance it was. It was. You know, his biggest problem was, though, he went with his head. I mean, if he'd have tried a bicycle kick or some kind of elaborate back heel... Dead cert would have flown into the top corner, but Cookie was just trying to be a bit too, bit too conventional there, I reckon. So we've got some uh, puns, Sean, and uh, I'm sure uh, the club news later on will be featuring more Sean Barker puns, so uh, listeners will know when to maybe dim their radios and just turn it down a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm being harsh, but we did have a number of them. So the puns this week. Go on. <laughs> Steve Wright, he tweeted... Clippity Klopp claps Liverpool to a win. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yes. Very good. Steve Butler, King's late volley, but Klopp is happy. That's not a bad one. We've got Robert Murphy, who tweeted, King of Norway stands alone against Kaiser Klopp's red reserve. Oh, wow. This is elaborate. He also came back with, I say Cherry's cheesy tribute act was Ojo Long at 80 minutes. Or is that Ojo? Or is it, how do you pronounce that, Sean? Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just generally confused by that whole thing. So Ojo, I mean, it was too long. So Ojo, Ojo? I may say cheery's no, he's lost me. Uh, Gary, that's right. Uh, Gaza on Twitter come with LFC pop tart cherry, very conventional there. And we had one from Grockle Free who came and said Josh cements his position as kingpin, but AFCB Rue missed clop opportunity as LFC make <laughs> ten changes. Grockle Free, I like that. I like that. Yes, good, good work, gentlemen. Good work. I tell you what, if you if you could do a pun for the next game, we will be absolutely um, delighted if you can. And Sean, do you remember to do these puns? Oh, Sammy, I see you've just nicely linked it seamlessly without having to mention that we're linking. Oh, oh, I've told yeah. everyone. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Here's do you remember? This player was born on the 3rd of March 1980 and was an attacking player who unfortunately had his career pegged back through repeated leg breaks and other injuries. This player spent two stints with the Cherries, signing on loan in the 98-99 season from a European team and then permanently in 2004 for two years, having played a few games for Yeovil Town. In 2006, he moved down here to play for the New Zealand Knights in the A-League, although again suffered injury heartache by tearing his cruciate ligament. Bournemouth were impressed with this player during his loan spell and were looking to sign the player full-time when Southampton jumped in and poached this player to them for a fee of £170,000 from his parent club, having watched his displays for the Cherries. It's not very neighbourly.
he was Portuguese. go samuel do you remember i think i do remember sean i'm pretty sure i do well last week's was a super toughie and we ran a poll on twitter and i think it was 78 percent of those polled said they didn't get it although 22 percent that did that included me because i accidentally answered yes to say i did know it which you know if i didn't know it we're all in trouble seeing as i put it together <laughs> so uh this week is a little bit easier although sam how long did it take you uh, into the questions to get the answer well uh, you know what it was after the third no the well the basically the last two clues once i heard them that confirmed it for me oh okay now okay so the, the challenge is this week did anyone get the right answer after the first clue Ooh, message us facebook twitter send us a send us an actual stamped addressed envelope <laughs> with it on please i remember when i was a kid uh uh when you watched those tv shows you know and i used to enter the competitions and i'd always pick a card that would be like luminous yellow or pink or something yeah. so maybe it'd stand out and then you'd watch the program and i'd always see my card fall out of the bag when they were doing the shuffling oh, no onto way. the floor and then they'd pick it out and it was every, every time eh? it's pretty disappointing but i haven't let it <laughs> affect me what's what's it like to be you you, sean what's it like (laughs) i don't enter competitions anymore (laughs) put it that way anyway on a happier note sam you were once again doing your review of all things afcb online so let's see what you could dig out from the bag of goodness So at the weekend, Cherries went down 2-1 to another big side at the Vitality Stadium, with two goals before half-time as good as killing the game off. Before the game, there was lots of debate about who would start and what formation it would be, so given the walkovers against Spurs and Manchester City recently, would there be anything different? Well, when the teams were announced, there was not many people that were complaining about the lineup. However, some were left surprised about another omission of Juan Aturbe. Perhaps the conspiracy is true. Paul James tweeted, I noticed Aturbe wasn't on the bench, hasn't had much of a chance, but how knows what he wants. Well anyway, as we continued towards the kickoff, there was a good atmosphere around with old-fashioned solid singing. Indeed, Nigel Winship tweeted, I hope no one in charge of such things at AFCB ever thinks those stupid plastic clapper things are a good idea. That's one for Norwich there. However, things did get a little quieter before the start of the match as we paid tribute to the victims of the Hillsborough disaster. And this, of course, was very much appreciated by the away contingent. Christopher Strahlman tweeted, As a Reds fan, I just want to thank AFC Bournemouth for the classy ceremony honouring the 96. True class. Jade Graham tweeted, Great tribute by AFC Bournemouth ahead of the match to the 96. Unexpected, but very much appreciated. Thank you. And then Graham on Twitter said, Bournemouth are a class act. Thank you for your tribute to the 96. You'll never walk alone. So in terms of the game, well, it felt like to some it was a similar tale to many of our previous matches, with Bournemouth paying a bit too much respect to the away side, conceding what some people called soft goals with no real potency up front. Indeed, Mr O quipped, 
Very fitting tribute paid by AFCB to LFC today. My only opinion is that 75 minutes of it was probably overtly long. In terms of the match itself though, there were talking points including three flashpoints where fans felt that there was more than a decent enough chance for the ref to award a spot kick. So, should we have had penalties? Rich Go on Vital said, It seems that on analysis by a panel of referees, we should have had two penalties on Sunday. I felt all three were the type of handball instances that are sometimes given, sometimes not. It was unlucky to have all of them turned down. However, these injustices can't disguise the fact that we were outplayed for the first 60-70 minutes. Despite these so-called unlucky decisions though, the Bournemouth manager didn't entirely feel aggrieved from the result as Alex Crook tweeted, Eddie Howe admitted in his press conference that AFCB didn't deserve anything from today. Jurgen Klopp strangely reluctant to praise Liverpool hero Sturridge too. And there was another person who didn't feel aggrieved by the result and that was Bournemouth blogger Simon Reid. There was a lack of drive and spirit present throughout, but we appeared to be let off the hook due to the fact that Liverpool played a side of reserves and kids. The game was terribly scrappy, and in the first 40 minutes there was little quality or cohesion on show from either side. And Peter Bell from Cherry Chimes wrote, The game needed a Bournemouth goal to get the home crowd really pushing the players on, but it came far too late. Josh King had been the best AFCB player all game and might well have scored earlier, but when he did it was almost even more frustrating as the fans knew that it was a token gift that would not really count for much, with 90 plus 3 minutes on the clock. So speaking of Josh King, he once again took the accolades, and on Twitter lots of people were very chuffed with his performance, including William Snootsworth who said Josh King without doubt our most improved player, both in terms of attitude and performance. Andy Moore said whilst King was man of the match by a country mile, also a special mention to Grabs for his performance when he came on, very impressed. Andy Moore tweeted, I don't think I've ever changed my opinion so much on one player until now. Take a bow, Joshua King. Great work. And Steve Phillips tweeted, sending my apologies to David Beckham as Joshua King is my new man crush. My thoughts, King was excellent, Grabs very good, and Pew did more in the first 30 seconds after coming on than Gradle did all game. So, with a 2-1 loss at home, there were once again some questions being asked about whether the current squad are good enough. Sean Fowler, indeed, on Twitter, asked that exact same question. There were lots of new players being mentioned, but he said, which of them are going to be replaced? Well, Ivy House on Vital said, Fortunately, I've never had to be in a position where I've had to fire anybody. Eddie's going to have to bring some mates into his office soon. People that have been with him on the journey and tell them it's over. Garbo on Vital said, Has he got the minerals to do it? He will need words with Elphick, Murray, probably Macca, Yunan, Mark and others too. I only see Smith, Francis Cook, Daniel Sermon, Arta, Ritchie, King, Afobe, Wilson, Gradle, Mings and Cook being totally safe. And these comments about who's good enough were just exacerbated by some of the mid-game opinion tweets that came online, including AFCB Pete, who said, Gosling kept doing the hard bit, but then giving the ball away. You can't play teams like Liverpool with only seven or eight showing up. And there were also a couple of negative tweets about Andy Sermon. However, Josh Brown came in and interjected by saying, just read that a couple of people think Sermon's not good enough. I give up. 
And as a whole, Robert Murphy on Twitter realised that Match of the Day wasn't going to be an easy watch. He said it's going to be tough viewing tonight. We're going to hear a lot about holidays and deck chairs already. However, the self-analysis was superseded with some upbeat and exciting thoughts from Aaron James Redmond, who said, Can't wait to see two extremely hard-working, strong and pacey strikers in Wilson and King playing the same team. Frightening. AFCB Dad tweeted, West Ham away was a good example of the early seeds of what was possible. King, now with confidence, will help it evolve. So what for the future? Cherry's fans on Twitter in particular were already looking at potential new signings and amongst the seemingly unanimous opinion that we need to strengthen, there were a number of names banded about. UTC tweeted, Redmond to AFCB when Norwich inevitably go down. Sam Summers tweeted, Lewis Cook is a big talent, but don't overlook Will Hughes. That little albino will be a star and I'd love him at Bournemouth. Liam Grace tweeted, I'd take Jermaine Defoe back in a heartbeat. He's still got it. Liam Harrison said, can we sign Zach Clough? Exciting young player. Well, we end the online review this week with the tremendous efforts of AFC Bournemouth staff and players, as well as many famous footballing names and players from other clubs such as Troy Deeney, who have all made a valuable contribution to the money that Harry Arter is raising for the Four Louis charity. Steve Fletcher tweeted, Incredible that Harry's auction has reached almost 11,000. Please help us even more for Four Louis. Jeff Mostyn tweeted, Great to see Harry's auction doing so well. Please keep bidding. Only a few hours to go. AFCB Frank said, Just to say, if people can't afford the shirts, get donating via their PayPal or by other means. Great charity. And Duncan Graham ended up a happy punter as he said, Seems I've just bought some Tommy Elphick football boots in Harry's auction. Interesting, Duncan. Well, according to some AFCB fans, there's a yearning for a centre-back. So, get your boots on, son. returns to the seniors. Junior Stanislas made a starting team return to Premier League action with his inclusion in the first 11 this weekend versus Liverpool. Junior suffered a hamstring injury in the game versus Watford back in February and had not been seen since, and he told the official website that it had been a frustrating time for him, but he was glad to see the lads doing well. As a former West Ham player, he also said that all ex-Hammers have been invited to attend the final home game at Upton Park, their historic home since 1904, as the team move into the Olympic Stadium from next season. I wonder if he'll get a seat next to Jonesy. Francis to consider his position in the summer. No, Simon Francis is not thinking of leaving the club, and we are also not talking about his choice of holiday destination. Instead, Francis this week has said he will sit down and talk with Eddie Howe in the off-season as to whether he is to focus more as a centre-back instead of his long-standing role as a right-back. 
Frano was converted to centre-back following the long-term injury to skipper Tommy Elphick back in September and has excelled in that position, with some in the media pushing for an England call-up. Speaking to the Daily Echo, Francis said, I am probably doing more than just filling in now. I am definitely enjoying the role and it would probably be a natural progression for me. How is now for the use of TV replays? The International Football Association Board have approved a two-year trial to be implemented by the Italian Football Association for the use of video replays in cases that involve whether a goal is scored, red cards, penalties and mistaken identity. Eddie Howe told the Daily Echo that he has been swayed, having previously not been in favour of such use, but he has been impressed with the goal line technology used this season. Howe said, I think goal line technology has been really good because it hasn't broken up the game and they have got the decisions correct. That has been a really positive thing and as long as it doesn't slow down the game or the tempo, then I would look at it positively. So it looks like the Premier League could soon be ready for lights, cameras, action. Thank you very much, Sean, for the news there. And it's always interesting when you're in the news booth because I can see your reflection behind the glass and I can see my face in it as well. And it's just this this weird morphed mix of both of our faces. But as he now walks back into the studio, thank you for the news. And uh, it looks like you didn't actually bother doing any puns on that news. I mean, unless unless you can call junior what junior returns to the senior. Oh, sorry. Is that a pun? Well, no, it was just a bit loose. It was, a, it was a bit. I must admit, my punnage was a little bit sloppy. A sloppy punnage this week. I apologise, and I did get. It was. I know it's 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 pretty easy, but the how and now. Although how is now for the use of TV replays? At least it was. Rel- no, it's. I reckon Grockle Free would have done a better job this week. Put it that way. Yeah, I uh, wasn't a big fan of that, Sean. But yeah. uh, anyway, what Next we got week. coming up now? Well, now, Sam, we move on to the main event of today, the big announcement. So we're going to be running the Back of the Net End of Season Awards, and Sammy is going to tell us all about it. In life, there are many awards that you can receive. Your 10-metre swimming badge... Your very first Man of the Match award. And your Jim Fixed It For Me badge. And lots more besides, anyway. But there is no better accolade to pick up than a back-of-the-net end-of-season award. Now, sadly for you, being a mortal listener, there aren't quite any awards that you can personally win. However, you can take part by voting on our website in a smorgasbord of categories, which will range from the sublime to the ridiculous. So, there will be ten awards in total, and Sean and I are dead set on four of the ten awards. So, these are they, with a few ideas to boot. They are... Drumroll... 
player of the season. Hunter. to shoot by the Bournemouth Bay ball, and he does! Most improved player. Spiove ed entra direttamente in rete. 100 secondi di gioco. E Stanislas che eseguire. Best goal. Bournemouth haven't committed too many forward. Richie. Now Francis. Match of the season. Into a great area. The brilliantly taken goal by Benny Kafobi. Doubles Bournemouth's lead. And their first victory in a league game against Southampton since 1958. Just a few ideas there to tickle your taste buds, but we've got six more awards that we need to come up with. We do have a few in mind, but we want your suggestions before next week's launch. Ideas include best atmosphere, funniest chant, best player faced, worst player faced, dramatic and miraculous comeback from illness ever seen. We're talking about you, Colo Torre. And there have been a few other ideas mooted of which avenues we perhaps will not go down. But when the categories are decided, voting will be kicking off next week at afcbpodcast.com and will be lasting three weeks before the winners will be revealed after the final game of the season against Manchester United. Voting will be completely open and there will be opportunity to vote for whoever you want, so no multiple choice here. And whilst we're running the risk of getting votes coming in for smudger smudge face and things like that, it's only fair and correct that we do it that way. So there'll be one vote per person per question. Your IP address will be recorded, and whilst we appreciate that you can connect via a VPN or hop along to an internet cafe, we'd like to think that anyone who considers doing that in the style of Alan Partridge is just sat at So, your feedback is required. Here's how to get in touch with your ideas. Tweet us at afcbpodcast.com. Like us on Facebook and send us a message at facebook.com slash afcbpodcast. Or why not send us an email? And that's fans at afcbpodcast.com. Supporter profile. What is your name? Ian Hensman. Where do you live? Uh, Sydney, uh, New South Wales in Australia. First Bournemouth game attended? Um, was the 8th of November 1986. It was a 2-1 uh, win in the promotion season versus Carlisle. Ian Bishop scored the one goal um, and uh, I'd left the game 
uh, and was walking through the car park at King's Park when all three goals were scored. Favourite player of all time? I, I don't really have one. I, I tend to have a thing where it passes from one player to another. So my first favourite player was David Puckett, um, and then there was a gap when he did his cruciate. Uh, then it went on to Ian Bishop, George Lawrence, loved Joe Parkinson, really respected Denny Mundy. I knew his mum at work. Um, Steve Cottrell, he did his cruciate. Scott Mean, he did his cruciate. Um, Wade Elliott, um, I love Marcus Browning, um, Richard Hughes, and, and my favourite player, lastly, was Ian. Favourite current player? I, I don't really have one in the squad right now. It still fits with Jan. Um, I really liked him as a player. I loved watching him play. I loved his flair. Um, and then he read his backstory in Alex Crook's book, Match for My Life. Um, and I found a lot of respect for him as a man. Um, so it's still Jan at the moment. Favourite all-time AFCB game? Oh, look, it's got to be Middlesbrough for me in 1987. Allegedly 14,000 in Dean Court. Under the floodlight, dark sky. Um, I was in the Middlesbrough end for a bit of it because that was the only bit that I could get in. Um, and I really still remember if I closed my eyes, Sean and Driscoll's goal down the south end, cracking the shot in off the bar and going in. I, I don't think, you know, it's one of my favourite things, I think, in football, watching your goal go in off the bar. Your greatest AFCB goal. Now, I don't think anyone will ever answer this question in this way, but my favourite goal, Sean O'Driscoll's again. Um, it was versus Cardiff in 9th, January 1987. There was about 1,400 of us in a Freight Rover trophy game at Dean Court. It was freezing cold. I remember jumping up and down the steps from one step to the other, trying to keep warm. Uh, it was nil-nil with about 10 minutes to go, and he cracked one in to make it one-nil. Um, and it meant no extra time when we could come home and go to bed and get warm again. Best moment as a Bournemouth fan. Again, I haven't got one specific. I've got a whole batch of them. So um, beating Newcastle um, in 1992 in the FA Cup. Um, I went up there twice. So I went all the way up there on a coach for nine hours for 15 minutes of fogged off football where we could just see the penalty area in front of us and then went up the following week and saw the win on penalties. Um, I remember watching Hardy and Dean Court playing for Stour Booth Rest in about 1990. Um, Beckham, when he played a quarterback role for Manchester United in a friendly in 96. Veron, when he played for Manchester United in 2002, was just a stunning footballer to watch. Um, randomly, Rowan Vine sticks in my memory playing for Luton. After that 2003, he absolutely ripped us apart that night. Middlesbrough game last year, the 3-0 win, um, and Harry Harder's goal. Um, and then, like literally now, I find it bewildering watching Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, and all those guys playing down at Dean Court. If you could sign any player, past or present, who would it be? Oh, it's got to be Tirona Samba or Freddie Adu. For those of you that play or played football manager, you'll know that they were top goal scorers in their time. Your chant of choice. Got to be the corner and the classic Boscombe back of the net, hasn't it? It's just um, yeah, evocative of years gone by and the smell of Bovril over the, over the south end. What league position will we finish in this season? Um, I think with the running we've got, um, my head says around where we are right now, maybe a little bit lower, 14th or 15th. Um, I'd love, my heart would say, I'd love to get just into the top 10. I'd really love the guys to push on and just get that achievement. That would be stunning for our first season in the Premier League.
Thanks to Ian Hensman for being this week's supporter profile all the way from Sydney, Australia. And uh, seems he had a liking for favourite players with dodgy cruciates. Also, good football manager reference there with Samba or Do. I definitely know what you're talking about there, Ian. And uh, although I wasn't that good, I never got Bournemouth into the high leagues. So, Sam, I am really excited about these end-of-season awards. So much so, I've already gone out and picked the frock I'm going to be wearing on the big occasion. Uh, so people can ask me, well, Sean, what are you wearing? <laughs> Once again. And one thing we just want to say is that during the feature we did play a few sound bites those are just examples of course they were some sort of bits from games that we thought you know maybe you could go for that but it's one of many possibilities there are loads of options there for you to pick and uh, well it's not multiple choice you can have anything you can have Boric's terrible pass at home to Watford that gifted them their goal as your best moment of the season I don't know why you would though yeah, we don't we don't want to be uh, seen to be trying to sway the decisions. I mean, this this isn't the American presidential race. Let's just be clear about that. So it's totally impartial. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty excited about this actually. So um, yeah, giving you the chance to help us pick some awards, not because we're lazy and because we haven't got time to do it. Can we just be clear about that? It's definitely nothing to do with that. We're a show of the people. You are the show, people. And please help us by doing some of the work. Yeah, and also just. Just a quick one. If anyone can quickly tweet me now and tell me what sound track that was at the end, the last 30 seconds, it was from a BBC TV programme of the 80s and 90s. If anyone knows where that's from, do tweet and let me know because uh, I would love to see if your memory is as incredible as mine is. Wow, such a game of questions. We're really sorry. We're really quizzing you this week, aren't we? All these questions we keep throwing at you. You're like, man, I just wanted to relax and listen to you guys. Now nah, you've got to work. It's a working shift if you're listening to Back of the Net. So now it's time to have a look at the match next Saturday. We got, well, they don't get any easier, do they, Sean? Chelsea at home. Now, what's happening in their last match? They lost 3-0 to Manchester City. They were pretty much annihilated. They're going to be without Courtois, who who got sent off uh, for Chelsea. Now, they started off last time with Courtois, Aspilicueta, Cahill, Ivanovic, Baba, Fabregas, Miguel, Willian, Willian, I never know, Loftus-Cheek, Pedro, and Diego Costa. It doesn't really matter if they're putting any subs on because the players that they that they also left out are absolutely world class. Generally, how do you see this game going? Yeah, I guess it's a bit like Liverpool. I mean, you can say Liverpool played a team of players we didn't know and still gave us a pretty good game. So uh, interesting that Begovic is going to be back in goal because he obviously he came to us on loan, didn't he? And I remember at the time he was absolutely awful awful i remember watching him and i was like this is one of the worst keepers i've seen in a long time excluding michael Manetrier. no no <laughs> he was a nice guy but uh, anyway it'd be interesting to see begovic back uh, i guess more importantly is for is for our boys how are we going to line up um you've got to say that you know i think pew and graben both did themselves no harm at all in the performance i think they both played you could say both played well against Liverpool and there wasn't many players you could say that about. So if you're going on form, then surely we have to see what Pugh coming in for Gradle and then Graben in for Stanislas. But then Wilson got 15 minutes and, you know, when does Wilson get a start? I'm, I'm going to say Graben and King would be my picks with Pugh coming on the left that then it leaves us with 
everyone else, I would imagine, barring no more injuries, I think we'd be relatively unchanged. What, what about you, Sam? Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. I'm not sure where I read this in particular, but someone said, maybe it was on the Vitals forum, someone said, uh, Gradle came back and he obviously had that adrenaline rush. He was back in the side playing Premier League football again, but maybe he's had a few starts and his levels have just slowly dropped off. So maybe it is going to take Pew to come in to maybe, you know, give him that boost again to start playing because, you know, uh, there have been a few people that said the, the last sort of couple of games he's played has not been the best. I remember... Um, um, in the online review, Steve Phillips said exactly that too. Wasn't really impressed, read a number of things about him. Yeah, I think the thing is, across the team, I mean, we've we've generally been saying, well, since the Swansea game, our performances have dropped. I still think, for me, that the players have had to play 100% or near to it to perform at a level that means we are competitive in the Premier League. And I still say it's an absolute testament to our team that we have been safe by pretty early on in April, which we, looking at the fixtures, you always said we'd need to do. But we had to play at 90 to 100% in terms of performance to achieve that. And I think it would be natural after that, especially after that Swansea game, because that was when it felt like we were okay, that there would be a slight drop in level. You've also got a relatively small squad that have played a lot of games, so tiredness is going to kick in. Um which means that it only takes our guys to be at 70, 75%, which you could argue in a lower league, we still would have been competitive. In the Premier League, you don't get away with that. So, and I guess that then flows into moving forward, the quality of players that we've got and the players that we bring in, I would imagine they'd be the kind of players that when they are at 70, 75%, they're still competitive because it's so much to ask a team to compete at 90, 100% for a whole season so Sean give me a prediction because Bournemouth versus Chelsea Chelsea uh, I mean it could be our first Premier League double can we do it um no I don't think so I but I think we will get a point um I think they will score because I think they've got players that are good enough to get a goal I'm gonna call it one all. Hmm. I'm going to say we're going to win this. This is going to be our first Premier League double. This is what I'm going for. It's going to be one nil, and Callum Wilson is going to score the winner. It's a bit of a fairy tale, isn't it? Dreamland. Well, I think I picked that we're going to thump Liverpool three one with a Turbay and Wilson scoring. So I, I'm definitely was sleeping and having great dreams that night. But. <laughs> um, until the actual game started and it just turned into a nightmare. But uh, it's good. It's hopeful. It's hopeful. Where we Neither of us have picked a defeat. So, yeah, could well be a defeat on the cards, judging by our picking abilities. But, no, we've got a few right this season. So a draw and a win from the back of the net, boys. Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke who stands in the back of the North Stand, shouting, up the cherries! You're listening to Back of the Net. So it's yet another show in the can and thanks to everyone that's been involved, all the fans' thoughts and everyone that's got in touch over Twitter. Remember to subscribe to Back of the Net via iTunes. Just click that subscribe button. Mixcloud, you can join and follow us there or even on YouTube, become a subscriber there as you don't want to be missing the next episode of Back of the Net, do you? 
you don't. And obviously, check our website, afcbpodcast.com, for everything to do with the show. You can listen to all the previous episodes, and also you can listen to all the features just on their own. So if you just wanted to catch up and reminisce about, you know, any great features, you know, like maybe the ones that Sam have done or or the one I did, like my one, you could listen to that <laughs> over and over again. Not that we have an internal poll going as to who's, you know, but do listen to mine. I'm joking, Sam. Yours are the best. Thanks. And uh, the main thing, though, is the feature which Sam did this week, which was all about the Back of the Net Awards. So this is very, very exciting. Now, just to reiterate, this week we would like you to be in touch with us, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, or you can email fans at AFCB Podcast. And we are looking for your category suggestions. So we want to know what category of um, awards you think we should be running. And then next week's show, we will launch the categories, tell you what they all are. And we'll also have the online form on our website ready so that you can get voting. So, Sean, before we go, I need to find out the answer for Do You Remember? Because I think I know who it is. Can can I can I can I guess? Uh, go on, then I'll let you guess. OK, he scored a wonder goal at I think it was Oxford United. Anyway, I'm just going to say his name. Danny Rodriguez. Yes, correct, Sammy. <laughs> Get well in. done. He was he was such a good player, eh? And it was just a real shame. When he came back to us, it was all super exciting. But just injuries, unfortunately, took it away from him. But, yep, so Danny Rodriguez was the answer. So I reckon if more of you got that this week than, uh, than last week's. But well done, Sam. I think that's the first time you've actually got one correct. Thank you very much. I'm really pleased. I'm going to be thriving on that for the next seven days now. Hey, and thank you to all of you for listening to yet another episode of the show. If you want a little bit more AFC Bournemouth in your life, don't forget you can check out All Departments podcast with Michael, where he does a review each week of one game, goes into quite a lot of detail, which is really great. This week, it was Damien Hill who was discussing the Liverpool defeat. That was a very good listen. So yeah, head over to there, check out those boys. Otherwise, we will be back next Tuesday for yet another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Drops mic, exit stage. <laughs> and it's coming through the middle. Recovering challenge from Edward Hughes. He's on side. Hater. He's got it. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable. James Hater has a three minute hat trick at D Court. <laughs> Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.